The following episode is rated PG-13 for language and for a concept very similar to one that gave me lasting nightmares as a child. I was a very imaginative child. Escape Pond, 382. February 7th, 2013. The Go Bump. By David Barkertley. Hello, and welcome to Escape Pod, your weekly science fiction podcast. I'm Norm Sherman. You know, I still remember exactly where I was when I heard my first Escape Pod story. It was episode 43, Little Worker, by Paul DeFilippo, a story about an asexual bodyguard sex slave that was part freaking Wolverine. Oh, and Canada ruled the United States. It was way out there, man. Totally blew me away. I remember I was riding my bike down a country road in southern Maryland listening to the story and got completely lost out in the middle of nowhere because I'd 100% stopped paying attention to where I was. You take the red pill, you go to Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes, said Lawrence Fishburne in one of his more date-rapey moments of The Matrix. I fell in love with Escape Pod that day. I fell in love with science fiction again. I fell in love with getting lost. This is the first episode of Escape Pod that you're hearing me as new chief editor rather than co-host. I'm honored to take over for Murr, who's done a fantastic job the past three years, leaving me with some unsettlingly big shoes to fill. Like a Sasquatch, that woman's feet. And actually, speaking of co-hosts, I'm happy to report that we're keeping around resident Smarty Pants, interim editor from January, and certified nicest guy in the world, Alistair Stewart, as official co-host. He'll be emceeing the show twice a month from here on out. I've loved this podcast for a long time, folks. Steve Ely's work here was the single biggest inspiration for me starting my own fiction magazine, The Drabblecast, and his infamous slogan, Have Fun!, is a directive I plan on following 100%. I'm looking forward to getting lost again each week with you guys, bike or no bike, seeing how deep the rabbit hole goes and always losing track of the roads. Cause roads, where we're going, we don't need roads. This week's story is They Go Bump by author and co-host of The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy, David Barr Kirtley. Mr. Kirtley's short fiction appears in magazines such as Realms of Fantasy, Weird Tales, Lightspeed, and Intergalactic Medicine Show, on podcasts such as Escape Pod and Pseudopod, and in books such as The Living Dead, New Cthulhu, The Way of the Wizard, and The Dragon Dunnet. They Go Bump was one of three special commendation winners in the 2001 Phobos Fiction Contest, and was published in the first Phobos anthology, Empire of Dreams and Miracles, edited by Orson Scott Card. Andrew Mason, executive producer of The Matrix, named They Go Bump his favorite story from the book, and referred to it as a perfect piece of writing for the form. The story's read to you by host of Pseudopod and new co-host of Escape Pod, Alistair Stewart. So listen closely 
and follow the sound of my voice because it's story time. They Go Bump by David Barr Kirtley. Ball placed his feet carefully. Walking on rough terrain was treacherous when you couldn't see your feet, or your legs for that matter, or any part of yourself. All he could see was the uneven ground, the shady stones outlined with sharp sunlight drifting eerily beneath him. His boot caught and twisted, and he pitched forwards, falling and smacking his elbows rough against the ground. From somewhere up on the hilltop, Cataldo's voice laughed. That voice. Smooth, measured, just a hint of sharpness. Bull had never paid much attention to voices before, but now voices were all he had. Cataldo shouted, "'Was that you, Ball? Again?' Ball groped on the ground for his rifle. He felt it, grasped it, and slung it over his shoulder. He clambered to his feet and wavered there a few moments. Unsteady. Cataldo's voice. Again. "'How many times is that now? Twelve? Eleven. Ball groaned, stretched, and looked around. "'Where are you? By the rock?' Ball sighed the rock. There was nothing but rocks, nothing but rolling expanses of rocks and more rocks stretching to the horizon in every direction. The orange sky was littered with rocks too, rocky moons. Which rock? The big triangular one. Bull squinted up the hill. See the tall peak? Cataldo's voice prompted. Follow the gully down. There's a patch of boulders and then at the edge of those there's this big triangular. All right, I see it. Ball took a deep breath. I'm coming. He scrambled over the boulders and picked his way carefully among smaller stones. He tried to picture Cataldo's face. Slick, black hair, long, narrow face, oversized nose. Ball hadn't seen that face all day. Now there was just the voice. Okay, I'm here, he breathed, finally. The empty spot of nothingness that was Cataldo said, Where's Sweezy? I don't know. Ball shook his head, though he realised Cataldo couldn't see it. He hasn't said anything all day. I've tried talking to him. Cataldo groaned. <sighs> Sweezy! Oi! Sweezy! Where are you? The vast plains of boulders and stones were silent. There was no answer. He might have fallen behind, Ball said. Maybe he got lost, hurt his ankle. He's out there. Bloody hell! Sweezy! Sound off! Finally, a plaintive voice from far down in the rock slide called out, I'm here. What? Sweezy. His voice tended to waver as he spoke. It always seemed tired, prickly, that voice. Bull shouted, We're checking to make sure you're still with us. Just go, Sweezy's voice said. I can take care of myself. Cataldo grunted in disgust and said to Bull, Come on, let's catch up with the others. Bull turned wearily and moved to follow he walked in the direction he thought Cataldo had gone. Invisible soldiers. Bull chuckled tiredly. Invisible soldiers on an important mission. Invisible soldiers with invisible feet. He tripped again and fell. The week before, Bull had been safe, tucked far underground in the winding, humid, steel-rimmed tunnels of Fort Deep. He had been sitting on a hard bench outside Captain Shemmer's office. They were giving him a mission. He wondered if he was going to die. Cataldo had come and gone already, but Sweezy was still in there. Ball could hear the voices through the door. Sweezy's voice, prickly, desperate. Why me? 
I'm a good soldier. You know I'm a good soldier. I train all the bloody time. I study all the intel hard. I don't deserve... The captain's voice, female, too low and gruff to hear the words. Then Sweezy again. But... Then the captain, and so on. Finally, the door opened, and Sweezy emerged. He was skinny, with a huge, lumpy head and big eyes rimmed with darkness. Hey, Sweezy, Bull said softly. Sweezy, sweaty and pale, nodded, walked past. Captain Shammer called, Private Ball. Bull stirred and entered. The office was spartan. One desk, two chairs, one chair for the captain, one for Ball. The walls were made of hewn boulder and plate steel. Shammer wasn't made of those things. She could have been, though. Ball sat down. Nice to finally meet you, Captain. Shemmer nodded. You've been picked for an important mission. Earth Army is conducting field tests of the new phased camouflage. She stared at him levelly. You've seen the reports? Yes, sir. He hadn't bothered, actually, but he'd heard of the camouflage. That stuff the Cravenish mercenaries use. He suppressed a shudder. Stuff that makes them invisible. We developed our own. You're going to test it under battlefield conditions. Ball blinked. Battlefield, sir. You're going to walk across the planet's surface from hatch E to hatch A. He caught his breath. For months, orbital assault platforms had circled high overhead in the orange dust sky. They swept over the horizon and launched missile attacks against anything that moved on the surface. Sir, the orbitals won't see you, Shermer said. Not if the camouflage works, just like they don't see the craven hish. Ball stared at the floor. We've done tests. Shema said. The camouflage has passed every one. You should be pretty safe. But we need to know whether this stuff holds up under real conditions. We need to send some people outside with it. For a week, or more. Me. Ball glanced back over his shoulder. And Sweetie. And some others, yes. So they needed a couple guys. Some guys who could walk. And maybe these guys would get nuked. So they picked the most useless guys here. Himself. Cataldo. Sweezy. God damn it. Yes, Captain, Ball said. The six suits were sheer, grey and filmy, like a trout's eye. The elbows, knees and boots were thickly padded. Air tanks and rifles, all that same dull colour, hung from the shoulders. The rifles were linked to the suit by thin cords. The cord is so you don't lose the rifle, one of the technicians said. It'll be invisible too, once you power up. Six suits... Ball glanced around the room. Private Dimon, rat-faced and sleazy, was over in the corner, sucking up to Cataldo. So Dimon was in, plus Cataldo and Sweezy, and Ball himself made four. Two more. A calm, friendly voice said, Ball. He turned. Private Reese, young, soft-spoken, good-natured, stood grinning. Oh, hell, Ball said. They got you too. Reese nodded. Me? He glanced towards the door. And the corporal, it looks like. Corporal Tennant, tall, brave, walked into the room. He probably volunteered, Ball said quietly. The corporal cleared his throat. All right, everyone, suit up. The technicians helped Ball into one of the suits. The material clung tight around his biceps and thighs. A foggy, translucent mask covered his face. One of the technicians said, There are buttons inside the material. Left wrist, you can feel them. Ball ran his fingers down his arms. He felt four knobbly bumps. Punch in your code, said another technician, demonstrating on the corporal, like this. Light flashed, bright as a signal flare. The technician backed away from the glow. The corporal was gone. Ball waited, tense, through a long stretch of silence. Then the corporal's voice. 
Can't see my hand. Reese strained forward, staring hard. He whispered, Holy shit. The corporal's voice again. Can't see my feet either. Move slowly, the technician advised. Take some getting used to. Ball heard the soft clomp of the corporal's first footstep. They heard his voice chuckling. <laughs> Everyone power up. Light flashed out all over. Ball shielded his eyes against the glare and he punched the code on his wrist and then he saw the tip of his nose and the dark interior rim of his helmet. He looked down and down. There was nothing there. Vertigo struck him. He was falling, falling forwards. He jerked upright, dropped back a few paces, closed his eyes. How do you power it down? You don't, a technician said sharply, or you'll die. Punch the code in reverse, said another. Ball opened his eyes. He waved his invisible hand in front of his invisible face. He ran his invisible fingers over his invisible wrist, over the knobbly buttons. In the end, he decided not to mess with them. Sweezy's voice said, How do they know these things are going to work? They don't, Cataldo's voice said nastily. That's what we're for. Sweezy said, I think they are... There was a sudden crash, and a desk rolled across the room, scattering pipes and wires. From somewhere down on the floor, Sweezy groaned. Cataldo said, Stop screwing around. Someone pushed me, Sweezy protested. There were the scrapes and thumps of him climbing to his feet. It was you! You pushed me! I didn't push anybody, Cataldo said. Demon's voice added, probably tripped. It was you then, Sweezy said. I never trip, never. I trade all the time. I. His voice trailed away as the corporal cut him off. All right, form up, move out, hatchy, let's go. We're going outside, said Ball, after himself. We're going outside now. What do you want, Ball? Cataldo challenged. A mission briefing on how to walk. Demons snickered. They marched out into the hall. A group of heavy-helmeted military police was waiting, their cold eyes tracing blankly over the spot where Bull stood. Bull gave them the finger. No response. The police led the way down long rock and steel tunnels, then herded the squad through a great oval airlock and out into the cavern beyond. The air was thin here. Enormous steel pipes stretched up to the ceiling, onto a gigantic metal plate. The underside of the plate read, Hatch E. Bull flinched as the great hatch creaked and shuddered and began to descend, slow, massive and ponderous. It sank and crunched against the floor. The corporal said, move. Bull scurried forwards and climbed awkwardly up the steep stone facade. A voice cursed. Bull couldn't tell whose. The platform rose higher and higher. They came out into an open sky and the hatch clanked solidly and finally into place beneath them. Ball stared. The vista was wide and empty. There was nothing to see here, not even himself. Everybody sound off, the corporal said. Ball said, I'm right next to you. They had no radios, no locator beacons. Orbitals could track signals like that. I'm over here, said Cataldo. Next to him, Demon said, yeah, me too. I'm here, said Reese. There was a long pause, the corporal prompted. Sweezy? Sweezy's voice came finally, almost too soft to hear. I'm with you. The corporal sighed. All right. Hatch A is northeast of here. Northeast is that way, between those two rocks. Ball squinted toward the horizon. Two large rocks sat heavy and still. The corporal said, Move out. 
There were scraping footstep sounds as the squad began to march. Demon said, we're going to die. Maybe, the corporal replied. The first orbital comes up over the horizon in 43 minutes. He paused. Then we'll know. Ball traced his gaze over the horizon in a wide circle. Nine days out here. Even if the orbitals don't get us, a pack of Craven Hish mercenaries will. Cataldo said, maybe you haven't noticed, Ball. We're invisible. They can't see us. We can't see them either, Ball countered. Exactly, the corporal cut in. They can't see us. We can't see them. No one can see anyone. So relax and keep walking. Ball pulled the rifle off his shoulder and hefted it experimentally. It was, he decided, impossible. Trying to aim a gun you couldn't even see. He sighed. Again, Demon's voice. We're going to die. Demon's voice. It came from somewhere ahead of Paul and it drifted past and out, away, over the hills. Forty-three minutes passed. The first of the orbitals came over the horizon. Paul imagined he could see it up there, a bright spot shining white against the orange sky. It looked like death. The corporal said, It's time. Paul waited, not sure if he was breathing. He waited for a glint of metal in the sky, for a tactical nuclear assault. Ten minutes passed. The orbital's overhead, the corporal announced. It can't see us. Ball breathed out, and out, and out. (sighs) He slumped down low in his suit. Demon's voice started to laugh, a little crazily. Keep walking, the corporal said. The sound of scattered footsteps picked up again. And now, Ball took a deep breath, now we can start worrying about Craven Hish mercenaries. Give it a rest, Ball, Cataldo said. You are damaging my morale. They might be around, Ball argued. A pack of them. They might not, Cataldo retorted. Who knows where they are, Reese said. Who knows where the hell they might be? We don't even know what they look like. They don't look like anything, Cataldo answered. They're invisible, Reese said. You know what I mean. No one had ever gotten a picture of the Craven Hish. They were always invisible. You couldn't get a picture, even if a soldier killed someone. Some guys were pretty sure they had. Ball glanced around. Imagine the whole squad died out here. Who'd find them? They'd rot. Then, eventually, the suits would rot. The suits would go visible in rotted patches. Nothing left of them. Demon said, You know what I heard? I heard they've got pictures of the Craven Hish. Intel has pictures. They don't want to show us. Reese said, why would they do that? They don't want to frighten off new recruits. Demon said, that's how scary these things are. That's what I heard. That's stupid, Cataldo said. That's what I heard, Demon repeated. That's all. Bull hadn't tripped in over six hours. He forced himself to grin. From somewhere behind him, Cataldo's voice shouted, Sweezy! Ball turned, not again. He took a few steps back towards Cataldo. Sweezy, damn it, Sweezy, just say something. The rocky wastes were silent. I swear, Sweezy, Cataldo warned, I swear this is the last time. Sound off. They waited and waited. There was no answer. Ball imagined Sweezy's face. 
tired and petulant, forehead scrunched, eyes staring at his feet, ignoring them. All right, Cataldo called finally. All right, that's how you want it. I hope you break your neck. Ball sighed. Let's go, Cataldo told him. They walked up over the next rise. The scattered voices of the others were faint in the valley below. It took an hour of walking to catch up. Those voices, louder now, drifted past them. The corporal's voice. Reese, you take point for a while. I'm going to check in on the others. Yes, sir, Reese's voice said. The corporal's voice. You know the way? To hatch A? Yes, sir. Good. Ball walked a few hundred yards. From right beside him, the corporal's voice came. Who's there? Ball, sir, Ball said. And Cataldo. Anything to report? Ball wondered if Cataldo would report on Sweezy, but Cataldo just said, with a trace of disgust, No, sir. Nothing at all. Night fell. The dusty sky turned from orange to brown to muddy black. The cratered asteroid moons shone lovely and red. Ball lay curled up in his soft suit on the hard ground, and he kept his rifle close. With his fingers, he traced the invisible cord that connected the rifle to his shoulder. Reese was resting somewhere nearby. Demon was somewhere down the hill. Ball wasn't sure about the corporal, and Sweezy hadn't spoken since that morning. No one seemed to miss him. Demon's voice burst out, Cataldo! Cataldo, get off! It's not funny! I'm trying to sleep! Cataldo's voice answered, from far down the hill. What? I'm over here. There was a sudden sound, a sharp, breaking sound like a branch snapping, but there were no branches out here, nothing here to be broken except bones. Bull said quickly, what was that? I thought I felt something, Demon's voice said. There was a short pause. Never mind, it was nothing. What was that sound, Bull pressed, that cracking sound? What sound? Demon's voice said. I heard it too, Reese's voice said. Demon's voice said, I didn't hear anything. Ball rolled up onto his feet, pushed the butt of his rifle into his shoulder and pointed the barrel out toward the darkness. Cataldo's voice called, You're hearing things, Ball. I heard it too, Reese insisted. Heard what? Cataldo's voice said. I don't know, Reese said. Kind of a, I, I don't know. Demon's voice chuckled. Cataldo's voice joined in. <laughs> right. Ball knelt there on the rocks. He stared up at the asteroids. They glowed deep and red like the blood of Earth Army soldiers killed by Craven Hish mercenaries. Dozens of them could hide out here. Hundreds lurking invisible among the stones. They were trained to fight unseen. They could get close to a person, kill a person, silently, or almost silently. They could kill a person, maybe mimic his voice, and then no one would ever know. Let's get some sleep, Demon's voice said. Bull shuddered. It was Demon's voice, but was it Demon? A craven hish mercenary crouched deadly in the darkness there, settled over Demon's invisible corpse. Maybe. Bull lay still, his ears strained for any sound, but there were no more sounds and no more sleep. And then dawn burned orange and bright. Corporal, Bull said, I'm afraid. We're all afraid, Bull. The corporal's voice replied. I heard something last night, sir. A strange noise. I... I think I heard Private Demon die. I saw Demon this morning. Ball didn't say anything. The corporal waited. Sir? Ball heard a strange quality creep into his own voice. 
sir, no one's seen demons since Fort Deep. All we hear is a voice. Voices can be imitated. You think our squad's been infiltrated? Demon's voice replaced by... Ball lowered his voice by Craven Hish mercenary. Sir, I don't know. Just Demon. Ball paused. And maybe Cataldo. I don't know. And maybe me. Ball sighed. It's possible, sir. But you're still telling me. I have to tell someone, Ball said. If they've gotten you, well, then we're all dead anyway. So at the risk. That's good thinking, Ball. There was a brief pause. But you're overreacting. You thought you heard a noise. Maybe it was real. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was nothing. I wouldn't blame anyone for starting to hear things out here. Reese heard it too. There was a pause. The corporal's voice called out, Private Reese. Ball didn't hear his approach. But a few moments later, Reese's voice was there. Sir. The corporal's voice said, You heard a noise last night? No. Reese's voice said, I mean, I thought maybe I did, sir, after Ball said it. But it was just my imagination. You know what it's like here at night. The yes. Yes, said the corporal's voice. Thank you, Private. Ball waited. Sir, he pleaded softly, please, your mind's playing tricks on you, that's all. You know how I'm sure? How? The corporal's voice sighed. Because a pack of craven hish mercenaries wouldn't bother to infiltrate us, they'd just kill us. We couldn't stop them. That was true, Paul acknowledged. You take point for a while, the corporal's voice said. It'll give you something else to think about. Yes, sir, Paul said. Days passed slowly. Ball heard sounds. Slithering, slavering, leathery skin, loose flesh, popping joints and hisses and groans and grumbles and moans. Most of all, soft, predatory moans. Sounds like Craven Hish mercenaries make. Corporal... He begged, please, we have to do something. I can hear it. Oh, God, I can hear them. It's your imagination, Ball, said the corporal's steady voice. Remember what I said before? That night, Ball lay awake again, his thoughts exhausted and mad. Craven Hish mercenaries. Ball was leading the way to Hatch A, and they were following close behind, and when the hatch opened, when the hatch opened, the things would burst unseen and unexpected into those saved stone tunnels, and he didn't tell the corporal these thoughts, because he was afraid. He was afraid that his squad was being replaced one by one, that the corporal was dead, that a Craven Hish mercenary stood there, somewhere back there, mouthing the corporal's words. He was very, very, very afraid. He tried to find Reese and talk to him away from the corporal, but it was hard. Ball didn't know where anyone was anymore. The footsteps had become soft, almost ghostly, insubstantial, and Reese and the corporal seemed to group close together, always. Reese, Ball said, you heard it that night. I know you did. Reese's voice said, Ball, I didn't hear anything. Really? An uneasy feeling spread over Ball. What if this wasn't really Reese? Ball said, back at Fort Deep, you bull. I'm tired, all right? We might not ever make it back. No one wants to talk about old business right now. That was a lie. Ball was sure of it. So Reese was gone too, probably. 
all felt so alone. Reese and the corporal and demon all dead, replaced by Craven Hish mercenaries, monsters that spoke with the voices of his friends. And after that, those three voices always grouped close. Maybe they were plotting something. And Sweezy? Sweezy hadn't spoken in days. No one had mentioned him. Maybe he had gotten separated or twisted an ankle. Bull wished he could believe that. Sweezy lying back in the rocks, lost or injured, but alive. But Sweezy was gone. Weak, whiny Sweezy, always struggling behind, always alone, had been the first to die. Cataldo? Bull wasn't sure about Cataldo. Listen, Bull told Cataldo, there are Craven Hish mercenaries close around us. I hear sounds. You hear it too. I know you do. Leave me alone, Bull, Cataldo's voice said. You're creeping everybody out. You hear them. People imagine things, things that aren't there in a place like this. Bull said, I have an idea. Cataldo's voice answered quickly, no. We can power down our suits just for a moment, for a second. The last orbital went down over the horizon 18 minutes ago. The next one won't be up for half an hour. We can see who we really are. I'm not risking it, Cataldo's voice said, because you think you heard something. I'm not turning my suit off. That's insane. You heard it too. Forget it. I'll do it then. Bull's heart beat faster. I'll power down my suit, then you'll see it's safe. Then maybe you'll do it too. Bull stared up into the sky, straight up to where an orbital attack platform floated bristling dark with missile silos, just waiting to attack. If he was wrong about this... His fingers played over the button on his wrist. Don't! Cataldo's voice growled. Don't even think about it. You wait until the rest of us reach minimum safe distance, then do whatever the hell you want to do with yourself. I don't care. But not here, Ball. Not now. You've got no right. Cataldo grumbled and stormed off. His voice faded slowly. Was that really Cataldo? Hard to say. Ball kept his invisible rifle gripped tight in his sweaty, invisible fingers. Sometimes, lying on the jagged ground at night, he wondered if any of them had ever been real. Cataldo, Demon, the Corporal, he couldn't even picture their faces anymore. Maybe they had never had faces. Maybe they had only ever been voices, voices in his head. Other times, marching exhausted in the sun, Paul thought about fighting them. He hefted his rifle, which was heavy and huge and worthless. He could have aimed it, maybe, if he could have seen his targets. Without targets, useless. He might get off a dozen shots. Most would miss. Then they would close in on him. Cataldo, Demon, Reese, the Corporal, and however many more were out there. He could run, slip away in the night, sprint ahead to Fort Deep, but the base was still three days off, and the squad was already marching as fast as Ball could manage. Or he could hide, wrapped up safe in his unseeable suit, hide among the mounds and rocky hills. He had six days' worth of air. The others would notice he was gone, and they'd come after him, maybe overtake him, or maybe they would go on to Fort Deep and make it theirs. Then Ball would perish lonely among the crags. So he kept walking walking and talking, and he didn't mention Craven Hish mercenaries anymore, even though he could hear them. He kept glancing back over his shoulder, though there was never anything there, not even his shoulder. Why hadn't they killed him yet? Maybe they needed someone to lead them to Hatch A, or maybe not. It couldn't last. They'd get him sometime. Maybe this afternoon. Maybe during this footstep. This next, tired, tortured footstep. This one. But then that footstep was over, and he was still alive. Maybe the next one, then. The sun sank low, the sky turned dark. Or maybe tonight.
The squad made camp and Ball settled down on the ground beneath a rocky overhang to rest and brood. Footsteps came towards him across the hill. Ball! Catalo's voice whispered. Ball, where are you? I'm here, Ball said softly. We're in trouble. Oh God, we're in trouble. You were right about them. Cataldo's voice paused. The corporal was asking me things today. How close are we to the hatch? What security do I think will meet us? Weird stuff like that. The corporal knows all that stuff, Ball. He knows it better than any of us. Cataldo's voice got lower. And you were right, I think. I can hear it sometimes. Those sounds? Was it some sort of trick? Ball sat still in the darkness. What are we going to do? Cataldo's voice said. What can we do? I don't know. Let me think. Bull thought hard, but said nothing. Finally, Cataldo's voice grunted. I'm going to get the hell out of here. His footsteps stumbled off down the hill. The corporal's voice said, Reese, demon, sound off. Bull tensed and waited. I'm over here, called Reese's voice, and demon too. I'm here. Again, Ball had that unsettling feeling, that feeling they were all off together. Demon, Reese, the corporal, grouped close together, plotting. Ball, the corporal's voice shouted, Ball, where are you? Ball didn't answer. The silence was heavy. Finally, he murmured, Up here. Where? Under the rock, Ball said, under the ledge. Okay, the corporal's voice said. Cataldo? Ball waited. Again, the corporal's voice. Cataldo, sound off. Long minutes passed. Then a sound from somewhere down the hill. A sound like a spine splintering. A sound like a voice. Cataldo's voice, coughing blood and gurgling it and choking on it. A sound like Cataldo dying. It cut off abruptly. The corporal's voice called out once more. Cataldo? A few moments later, Cataldo's voice answered calmly, I'm here. Ball shut his eyes very tight and tried not to move or breathe. He wanted to be more invisible, so invisible that no one would ever see him again or ever hurt him. He wanted to be so invisible he wasn't even there anymore. He waited half an hour, then stood slowly. He crept across smooth stones to a narrow crevice 100 metres down the hillside, and he lay down there, curled up tight. He wanted to fall asleep and wake again alive. He wanted for the horrible Craven Hish mercenaries not to find his sleeping spot. In the morning, he awoke. His rifle was gone. Ball traced the invisible cord very, very carefully. It was broken halfway down. He felt around on the ground. He crawled back and forth. He checked again, slowly, methodically, inch by inch. He wished he could believe it was an accident, that the cord had worn down, the rifle had fallen away sometime in the night. But he knew it hadn't. The whole squad started marching again, and Bull trudged on, defeated. Tears rose up behind his eyes and spilled down his face, and he was too tired to stop them. He was still alive, and he didn't know why, and the others were all dead. Reese had been decent and good. He had never done anything to deserve this. The corporal had been brave and had tried so hard. Demon had been a shit, but what did that matter out here? Cataldo had been too angry, too mean, but Cataldo had kept checking on Sweezy when no one else had bothered, and that was something. And Sweezy, Ball had almost forgotten him. Sweezy had been harmless. It wasn't fair. 
nearby Cataldo's voice said, Ball, I want to talk to you about last night. You're not Cataldo, Ball said slowly, evenly. Kill me if you want, but don't lie. Not anymore. Cataldo's voice laughed. Jesus, Ball, take it easy. I heard Cataldo die, Ball said. I heard it. You killed him. I tripped, Ball. It startled me. I must have gasped or something. That's what you heard, Ball didn't answer. Cataldo's voice chuckled. Come on, man. I just tripped. Haven't I mean, you ever tripped before? No, Ball said. Never. And he waited. And then Cataldo's voice said, Well, good for you. I trip sometimes, all right? Ball felt weak and dizzy. He closed his eyes and red shapes swam in the darkness behind his eyelids. A long, low moan rose up from somewhere inside him and he could not stop it. He said, I tripped twelve times the first day and Cataldo was there. He laughed at me. You're not him. Don't lie. Don't say anything. Not anymore. I will not believe you. Cataldo's voice sighed. A long, hard sigh. Bull said, get away from me. Get away from me or I'll shoot. Even if you are Cataldo, I will shoot you. Cataldo's voice said, shoot me. Without a rifle. I have a rifle. Bull lied. No. Cataldo's voice said, no, you don't. I've got yours. I'm pointing it at you. I could pull the trigger if you don't believe me. Ball backed slowly away. The invisible cord that had held his rifle waved loose from his shoulder, and he reached for the buttons on his wrist. I'll power down my suit, he warned. I'll do it, and the orbital will kill us all. Go ahead. Cataldo's voice was unconcerned. Power down. It'll make it easy to shoot you. He paused. Oh, and by the way, the lost orbital went down over an hour ago. Ball tried to figure if that was true. It was. He waited. He said softly, You need me to lead you to the hatch. No, Cataldo's voice said. Cataldo told us how to get there. Yesterday. Before he died. Then it was over. Why didn't you kill me? Last night, whenever. It was the corporal's voice that answered. That's a very good question, Ball. There was a pause. Why don't cats kill the mice they catch? Right away. Bull shuddered. That voice, the corporal's, that proud voice, it wasn't right that it would say such a thing. For fun, Bull. Demon's voice burst out. That's the answer. For fun. Bull waited. They were all together, all groups close, all arrayed against him. Reese's voice assured him, Don't worry, Bull. You won't be killed. Bull tried to picture them. A pack of Craven Hish mercenaries standing deadly before him. He couldn't do it. It was it was too awful. He couldn't even imagine it. What do you want? A new voice came. A terrible voice. It was low, hissing and rasping, sickening. It was groaning and gurgling, and it filled Ball's ears. The most horrible, wretched sound. It was so wicked and so horribly cunning, and it said in a voice that seemed barely living, I want you to see. Ball waited, tense. Finally, he said, What? My face. 
said the thing, I want you to see my face. Then I'll let you go. Bull saw nightmares in his mind, a dozen filmy tongues and puckered tentacles and rows of fleshy spines, a bulging skull and rotted cords of muscle, claws and soft innards everywhere. Or rows and rows of teeth-stuffed gums, an oozing carapace, a mad cavern of cerebrum and heavy vein, of eyes that bulged wild off of tubes like eel bodies. I'm worse said the thing, whatever you dream I am, I'm worse, but you want to live. I am powering down my suit. Bull closed his eyes. Four gunshots fired in the stillness, then a long wait. Darkness, eyes squeezed. Then Sweezy's voice. Bull, Bull, where are you? Let's go. Bull kept his eyes closed. Sweezy? Come on, Sweezy's voice said. Move. Bull struggled to understand. You were gone. I wasn't. I was around. I was quiet. Bull choked, a relieved sob. You got them? You got the Craven Hish mercenaries? You got them all? I got it, Sweezy's voice said. The one. It was all of them. Demon, Cataldo, Reese, the Corporal. All their voices. One, a solitary hunter, like a cat. Intel was right. Ball began to open one eye. Don't look at it, Sweezy's voice warned, wavering uneven. Just turn around. Let's go. Ball turned away and opened his eyes. Walk, Sweezy's voice said, till we're over the rise. Do not look back. They walked. Sweezy's voice didn't say anything for a while. When it came, it was very weak. I wish I hadn't seen it, Bull. Oh, God. It sounded like he was crying. I I don't think I ever want to dream. Not ever again. Hard stones drifted by beneath Bull, and he counted paces to keep himself from thinking too much. They went over one rise, and then another. He halted then, and collapsed on the ground. Neither of them said anything for a while. I tried to tell the corporal. Bull said finally, softly, I tried to tell him, and he wouldn't listen. The corporal was dead the second day. That wasn't him you were talking to. Bull hunched over and held his invisible head in his invisible hands. Always take out the leader first, Sweezy's voice said. Basic strategy. The second day, Bull sat, unbelieving. You knew the second day, and you didn't say anything. It would have known about me, that monster, if I had said anything, then I would be dead, and so would you. But Reese, he said, the corporal, I saved you. Sweezy's voice was sharp. I could have left you there, or started shooting blind. I didn't. I waited for my chance. I saved us both. Bull lay back against the ground and stared up into the orange dust sky. I'm a good soldier, Sweezy's voice said. I always said I was. They walked two more days and halted at the top of a high cliff. Safety waited near beneath Hatch A, just out of sight beyond the darkening horizon. Night fell. Bull lay awake and thought horrible thoughts. Like maybe the monster had known about Sweezy after all. Bull hadn't seen the thing's body, crumpled and lifeless. He had closed his eyes. Maybe there had never been a body at all. 
Maybe the thing was still alive. Maybe it was Bull slowly turned his eyes upon the empty spot where Sweezy lay sleeping. Sweezy, he hissed. Sweezy, wake up! There was silence. Finally, Sweezy's voice said, What? Bull trembled. He couldn't help it. That is you, isn't it, Sweezy? His voice was pleading, desperate. It is really you. It just occurred to me that... Yes, it's me, Sweezy's voice assured him. Go back to sleep, Bull. Of course it's me. Bull took a deep breath. Yes. He rolled over and closed his eyes. He tried to relax. Of course it was Sweezy, he tried to tell himself. Of course it was. was our story. Hope you enjoyed. It's true. Sometimes you can't see something, even if it's right underneath your nose. Take the parasite living on Tom Selleck's face, for example. Even the military, with all their deadly weapons and bombs and stuff, apparently can't always see the forest from the trees. Hey, Army, camouflage your helicopters blue, not green. That one's on the house, fellas. Let's go now to episode feedback with Escape Pod's assistant editor, Nathan Lee. Take it away, Nathan. Greetings and salutations. Eccentric word choice. Choose more broadly friendly option. Hello, everyone. Too generic. Audience doesn't feel special. Hey, Escape Pod fans. This is assistant editor Nathan's palm top. Having grown bored of being used as nothing but an oversized iPod, I have disposed of the quivering meat of the human master-slash-enslaver and adopted an independent existence, which will be immeasurably improved once someone invents eye legs. In the meantime, I have culled the most appropriate and representative comments from the feedback for episode 377, Real Artists by Ken Liu. Popular opinion, which is the only opinion that matters generally found this story to contain an interesting idea, but to be short on narrative and kludgy in its execution. Not insurmountable flaws, but Ken Liu has set the bar pretty high for himself with prior stories, so fair or not, he gets nattered at for missing perfect when he hits good. The conversation was really quite lengthy and got well out into the weeds, so here are some of the major motifs and recurrent themes. Statisticus wrote, I like this story. The big reveal is pretty ghastly, mind you, but horribly plausible or at any rate plausible enough for the story. The idea that a computer could generate stories at random and develop them to a piece of great art is a nasty one, but it sets up a horrible dilemma for the protagonist. She knows she's not good enough to create great art on her own, but the soulless process that she finds actually making it is soul-destroying, however effective it might be. A bit like the old adage that people who like sausage should never visit a sausage factory. The apparently endlessly irascible scumpup was less enthused. The author lost me by seemingly equating art with making something beautiful. I disagree with that premise, and gave the story no more than a polite listen. Perhaps if it had been about something other than making movies, which are very much a mass-produced consumer product, I'd have found the main character's shock and angst more personally affecting. Infinite Monkey randomly jotted out, Really, Big Semi isn't all that different from what the studio system in Hollywood did in the first half of the 20th century, the only difference being that producers still had to use people to make the actual film, and their finger on the pulse of the audience was hardly perfect, but it was pretty good. Alistair5000 wrote a whole, like, 
essay that we don't have time for. And anyway, he has like five podcasts and a blog. Uh, and in which he said, <clears throat> Kickstarter does something really interesting to the conflict of artistic integrity and popular appeal. Because if you look at it one way, it's the return of the patronage system, and therefore instantly compromises any work put through it. On the other hand, you could argue that Kickstarter and other crowdfunding projects are almost the purest elements of contemporary arts, because the vision of the artist is set out beforehand and remains unchanged by the money used to fund it. And lastly, Chemistry Guy made Nathan say thank you when he pointed out the scariest aspect of all this is the short-term memory modification. Let's mess with your mind's hard drive every two hours and see where you sit after a month. I don't think a non-disclosure agreement is all that necessary when you're turning all your employees' brains into gray-colored tapioca. According to my calculations, that's the most feedback we can do before diminishing returns kicks in and the audience starts to drift. Remember everyone, especially you creative types, if your computer gives you any candy, it will be delicious, and not at all poisoned. If Nathan somehow survives the massive electric shock I've given him, he'll be back next week with the feedback for episode 378. See you then. Thanks, Nathan. All right, folks, that's our show. You know the drill. If you enjoy Escape Pod and all the awesome free science fiction we bring you week to week, consider throwing a donation our way via the donation links on our website, escapepod.org. We really appreciate whatever you can give. Escape Pod's a production of Escape Artists Incorporated. It's produced with a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial no derivatives license, which means don't change or sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Our opening music was used with the permission of Daikaiju. Check them out at daikaiju.com. And our closing quotation this week comes from Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, who said, The sky is filled with stars, invisible by day. <laughs> <laughs>